Welcome to episode 197 of the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. I'm going to be adding an optional excursion uh, to the 2010 Winter Wonderland Workshop, which will be to photograph the snow monkeys or Japanese macaque monkeys in Nagano. Uh, which is uh, about a three to four hour drive from Tokyo. And basically, um, you know, that'll be at the end of the week before we go to Hokkaido next year with like a Saturday evening and a Sunday uh, in Tokyo to enjoy the Tokyo site to have a bit of fun yourselves, things like that. Um, but basically, you know, the, today, um, what, what I did was I, I wanted to add this option for the last few years and a number of people have requested it and actually not joined the trip because it wasn't there. And uh, I also was really sort of, like I say, interested in adding it anyway. Um, but I'd not visited the location myself and I felt that it um, was not fair. I felt relatively uncomfortable adding this as an option when I hadn't been there myself. Uh, obviously, you know, the, a part of the, the value that I bring to, uh, to the Hokkaido trips is my, my deep knowledge of the location. And so, you know, I mean, it's still, I don't have, relative, have a really deep knowledge of this location yet, but it's, it's not that complicated and found that, you know, uh, basically what I did was I went over there in February this year after coming back from Hokkaido and um, spent a few nights in the area and, you know, did a lot of reconnaissance. And so basically I'm comfortable now to add this as, a, as an option. Um, and today what we're going to do is basically just look through uh, a bunch of images uh, that I came back with. I've mentioned before the importance of editing down images from a shoot to a very special few, and after um, a few hours on the af afternoon of day one, and then a full day shooting uh, in, on day two, over in Nagano, um, in a place called Jigokudani, in um, it's basically where the monkeys live. Uh, I came out with so many what I considered to be pretty amazing images that I simply could not uh, edit down to just a handful. Uh, as I realised um, that it was it was not going to be I was not going to be able to um, get down to say ten representative images. I set my sights at thirty, which is already a lot, and even then, uh, I just found it impossible. I toiled over, I got down to a final cut of I think around 90 images and I just literally toiled over these for three days um, and I finally whittled them down to about half that which was 45 images and that's what I uploaded to my website and to my photo stream on Flickr. Luckily people seemed to like the images and commented that they were glad that I didn't leave any out which has made me feel better about my decision to not cut it any further. I think part of the problem in cutting images out of this set was because the snow monkeys, or the Japanese macaque as I say, they are so close to us humans that we feel much closer a connection than we might do to other wildlife. There's a, a kind of sentience in those eyes which is also you know, found in, in other animals, but I just found it so human that I was moved by these monkeys. I didn't want to make this um, a multi-episode multi series, so I tried hard to find just 10 out of the 45. Um, but again, uh, you know, because, well basically there's three in a, in a small series within the series that I wanted to look at all three of. 
uh, which did kind of falsely bump the numbers up. Um, and, you know, but even with sort of the variations, all of the various things that I want to talk about, I ended up with 11 images to look at today. Uh, so, you know, we'll skirt over a few of the usual details. Um, but, you know, generally, uh, we, we're going to have a, a slightly longer sort of discussion here because we've got a few extra images than we'd normally use. Um, you know, if you've been listening for a while, you know that I try to limit it to 10 um, or less, of course. But, um, you know, today we're going to be taking a look at 11 images. Let's jump in and look at the first image that I wanted to talk about, though, which is image number 2245. A quick reminder, if you're new to this podcast, uh, you can view the images that we talk about in iTunes or on your iPhone. And if you subscribe to the enhanced podcast version, which is the one that I recommend, the images will automatically change for you as we progress. If you want to follow along on my website, go to martinbaileyphotography.com and click on the podcasts link uh, or roll over the podcast link on the top menu. And uh, that then in there, you can locate the you can click on the podcast page and locate the episode in the list or um, I've actually added a field at the bottom of the menu below the jump to photo field where you can just type in the episode number so if you come to this if you listen to this podcast in say months or you know years to come and you you know you see it's more difficult to find in the list um, you can now just go to that the podcast menu at martinbaileyphotography.com type in the episode number and then hit enter or click the button and you will be transported to a page with the episode number, uh, you know, that episode, just that one episode showing. And it'll also there have the show notes and the thumbnails uh, that we're discussing. So hopefully this will make it easier to go to just uh, one single episode. You can, um, you can also, though, uh, I call out the number of the images. I don't often call out the titles and you can in the field above the one I just mentioned, uh, this may change at some point in the future, but at the moment uh, there's also a field there and you can type in the number, uh, which I just said, 2245, into that uh, field and then again hit enter or hit the button, the jump button, to go directly to that image. So getting back to the, to the main topic, I took two camera bodies with me uh, on this trip so that I could switch quickly and use uh, different lenses as the you know the opportunities arose and I used four lenses for the shoot one of the lenses that I used a lot for this image as well is the 135 millimeter f2 lens and this is a, a wonderful portrait lens so you can hopefully appreciate that uh, from my even from the initial planning stages of this shoot I'd sort of taken the gear, I'd been conscious of the fact that I wanted to be shooting portraits. I also knew that I would be able to get very close. I wasn't sure just how close, and it turned out that, you know, much of the time um, we were so close that if you reached out your hands, um, you'd literally touch the monkeys. Um, sometimes, you know, if you're shooting with a wider focal length, you, if you weren't careful, you'd get too close um, at least for their comfort, although they were really, really tame. Here I used, as I say, the 135mm f2 lens. I used it wide open at f2, which gave me a beautiful dreamy feel, and the strands of hair from the monkey actually look like they're sort of radiating out from the background, um, that white background that we have there. The depth of field is incredibly shallow here, so only the monkey's right eye is really in sharp focus. With, with us having to stand on a, a wet, sort of elevated um, 
I don't know, slab or step a couple of meters off the lower ground um, with, you know, basically like a ledge around the, the hot spring pool. Um, the, you know, you're not really uh, given much room to sort of maneuver back and forth. You're actually also sometimes, depending on the angle that you want to get, maybe to get a, a nice background or something, you're sometimes reaching out to your right or left. Um, and so, you know, it's it's not ideal in some ways, um, you know, depending on which part of the, the bath or the pool that you that you decide to stand and shoot from. Um, what, what that basically leads to as well, though, is it's easy to introduce a little bit of camera shake because you don't sort of, you're not always that sort of steady on your feet. Um, so if you, you have to try to maintain a relatively fast shutter speed. When shooting at f2, of course, you know, I had a, a fast shutter speed of 1 500th of a second at ISO 100 uh, for this particular shot. But at some points, um, you know, when stopping down the aperture a little, the shutter speeds did drop. For the next image, number 2241, I was still using the 135mm f2 wide open and this time for 1 320th of a second. After you've been shooting for a while and you start getting used to the fact that you're standing sort of next to a hot spring full of macaques, you start to try to sort of, you know, improve on your images and you're looking for these little actions and expressions that make these wonderful monkeys seem a little more human or, you know, give them a little bit more character and, um, and really separate them from, I don't know, maybe less dexterous animals. And I caught this guy uh, with, he was basically there scratching his chin. And he also looked over at me, uh, almost straight at me as I did so, which I thought was a, a nice added touch. Notice how I included his reflection here in the water of the bath and gave sort of a little room there around him for the ripples that were circulate or radiating out from him. As I, um, I was a little bit further away, we have slightly more depth of field here as well. Um, you know, it's still very shallow, uh, but I, you know, I like the uh, the sort of the overall sort of depth of field that we've got in this image. In image number two two three two, I was lucky enough to have my camera trained on this guy as he yawned. It looks more like a, a menacing show of aggression, but it really is just a yawn in the hot tub. The people around me didn't get this. I was, um, you know, it, it's mostly look to a degree that I had my uh, camera up to my face. Everyone saw the yawn and then sort of tried to capture it as, it, as you know, as it was happening. Um, but it, basically, you, you're rarely going to be quick enough to do that. You know, I mean, I say look, but, you know, I find it incredibly important to have the camera trained on something for as long as your shoulder and arm muscles will allow. Whenever possible, um, if I do have the camera up to my eye, just waiting, I also try to open the left eye. Um, you know, I usually use the right eye to look through the viewfinder. Um, and I, I open the other one for two reasons. Um, I find that shooting constantly with one eye closed, uh, even if, you know, when I eventually open it, um, I, I sometimes feel that it, the, the closed eye, the eye that was closed for a long time, gets a bit lazy and I can't focus with it properly for a while. And this, you know, it's, it's maybe just me. Um, you know, I've, I've, I do wear glasses, so um, a very weak prescription, but I, I do wear glasses, and maybe I've just got a, a lazy eyes, but I find that if I close one for a long time and use the other one to concentrate on things, things through the viewfinder, um, it gets a little bit lazy, and it doesn't focus for a while afterwards. So 
Uh, I don't really like that. And then um, the also also the other reason is, is I find that you know if I do keep the the second eye open, it enables me to sort of survey the surround surroundings a little bit. Um, and you know you you may not be trained on the animal that you, that's going to perform for you. So you know you you do really want to be able to see a little bit more of your sort of the surrounding areas to just notice if something else um, a better chance comes along you know somewhere else and that way you know you've already got the camera up you're you're more likely to be able to sort of zoom you know whiz across a, a few feet to one way or the other um, and just sort of you know have a better chance of getting a, an image if you see something happening um, but you know for this one I was I was literally I I'd got the camera trained on him and as as i was looking through the viewfinder he uh, he gave us this beautiful big yawn and i i got two frames um and this one was the one with the the mouth the mouth open the widest and pretty pretty cool shot i think the last three images um that we looked at were all shot in a couple of hours uh that we'd had on the at the hot springs there in the monkey park at the end of the first day um yeah, you know, I'd I'd concentrated on using the 135 millimeter, and I'd also used the 85 millimeter f 1.2 lens for closer shots. Um, all you know, both lenses I have shots on the website. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes that will allow you to list all 45 images. Uh, but uh, you know, basically the the ones that we'll look at today from the first day were all shot with the 135 millimeter. I got some nice depth of field. Uh, you know, shallow depth of field portraits here, and that was my plan. Uh, but using prime lenses, even on two camera bodies, does have its drawbacks. I felt that I'd missed a few opportunities um, on the first day. Uh, but, you know, basically, so what I did was decided on the second day that I'd keep the 70 to 200 millimeter lens on one body uh, to give me some extra reach when I needed it and also be able to pull back a little bit with just the one lens. Uh, but also, you know, the... I found that it, as it was, it was more overcast uh, and slightly snowing um, on the, you know, for most of this second day. I was going to be happy to have that image stabilization on there as well, which of course neither the 135 f/2 or the 85 millimeter f/1.2 have. I was um, switching between the 135 and the 24 to 70 f/2.8 lens most of the second day. Um, on the second body, that is. I, I think I put the 85mm on a few times as well, but I, I'm not sure. As I walked down the path towards the park, uh, I noticed a mother monkey sort of crouched down and hugging a youngster to keep warm, and I shot a series of images which um, from which I selected three to upload. And these are the three I was talking about earlier that I just want to sort of look at quickly here. The first one is image number 2230. I crouched down to almost the same height as the monkeys to shoot these images. In this first one, I have a, a nice angle on the face of the mother with her closed eyes, and also we can see quite a lot of face of the young macaque. I raised the ISO to 400 because there was not a lot of light, and this shot, um, you know, with, with this. Uh, shot with the 70 to 200 millimeter at its full extent at 200 millimeters. Um, you know, I, I wanted to um, get a pretty uh, or relatively fast shutter speed. I closed the aperture down to f4 to give me a little bit of depth of field because I wanted both faces sharp. But I also want 
I, I didn't want um, any more in focus than this. So you know, I didn't want to go any any uh, smaller than f4 uh, to you know to sort of maintain that dreamy feel around the edges of the fur. I uh, I'd have to um, you know I'd basically start to lose that if I went down any any lower than um, f4, say to f5.6 or smaller. The aperture at f Four gave me a shutter speed of one five hundredth of a second, which uh, that was nice. That was you know just about what I wanted um, for this you know for hand holding. I know the 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 rule is there, but I, I find that you know just going up a little bit higher on the ISO um, four hundred still fine, and so I just sort of I I threw it up a little bit more to give me a nice fast shutter speed. I didn't want to take any chances with this subject. I um you know basically. I was uh, I was there, like I say, as, as well, crouched down, um, so a little bit unsteady. I didn't kneel down, um, uh, but I was sort of crouched, which also makes you a little bit sort of unstable. Um, I do shoot with a tripod most of the time, but I, I didn't want to start messing around with that just now. And also, um, I actually shot pretty much the whole two days here. I took my tripod with me, but didn't use it. Um, it, was, it was necessary, um, really, to sort of maintain the freedom of hand holding, you you couldn't you would definitely miss shots um, around this this pool and in the area if you were sort of setting up a tripod every time. So uh, I would definitely suggest hand holding at this location. For image number two 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 nine, I knew that I'd got a few a few shots from my initial position, so I used the wildlife photography trick of moving in slightly a little bit at each time. Um, you know, if you try to move to an op optimal position in one go, you can often scare your subject off. And uh, I was still not sure how co how close I could get to these guys when they're not in the bath. I moved in a little bit closer, and then I actually zoomed out um, to 160 millimeters for this shot, which is um, you know the last one, as I said, shot at 200 millimeters. This one at 160, which is basically now what I did. I, I'm shooting almost perfectly from the side for a beautiful profile of the mother's face. I've cropped in just a little bit tighter on the head here too, and you know we, we lose the, a little bit of a view of the youngster's face, uh, but you know this, this too I think is a touching shot. I, the, you know, the way the mother seems to be sort of pulling the youngster, youngster in with her chin on its head and her eyes closed, it really seems to show the affection that she has for the child. Now, I'm sure that part of this is just trying to keep warm herself, um, you know, not so much keeping the, the, the child warm, but uh, using the child as a hot water bottle. Um, you know, animals can, can often be a little bit more mercenary than we tend to sort of, you know, paint the picture of them. Um, but, you know, I know as well that there is definitely some affection there, and an aspect of, of this is, is protection as well. With the second face uh, not so prominent now, I was not so worried about the depth of field uh, to get the sh you know get both sharp. Uh, so I opened up the aperture a little bit more, uh, trying to keep that soft look. Uh, I was at one uh, sorry f three point five now. Luckily, the second face is still pretty much in focus though. It seems as though they were they were paralleled, um, and I couldn't really tell whether they were or not when I was shooting. Um, but I wouldn't have worried, worried too much about this, even if the, the, the youngster's face was not 100% sharp here. In the last of this series of three, image number 2228, I zoomed out just a little bit more to 150 millimeters, 
And here we see the mother's eyes open, giving us a slightly sort of different atmosphere to the image. I haven't cropped quite so tightly uh, into the head on this one, uh, which puts those now open eyes in the top right third intersection. And the youngster's face is also close to the bottom left third intersection. So, you know, a nicely composed, sort of classically composed, I guess you could say, image. In all three images, we have a relatively clean background with a, a slight sort of dark patch in the top left of this one. But overall, the, the colour matches the monkeys, if you notice, noticed, and it really makes for a sort of a pleasing colour palette for all of these images. When I import my images into Lightroom, for general work, I, I always I have a preset set up that adds uh, plus 50 red plus 18 green and blue saturation to all of the images just right there on import. Um, I, I like the punchy colours, uh, the Velvia look that um, I used to get with, you know, when I was shooting with Velvia film in my, in my film days, slide film that is. Um, uh, but, you know, basically I knew that these guys have, you know, they have these red faces and I didn't want to overdo it. So I have a second um, preset that I use. I still bump up the saturation a little bit, but... Um, I only go to plus 25 on the red channel when I know that there are going to be some reds that will be basically overdone if I, if I don't sort of hold them back a little bit. Um, so that's what's happened here with all of these. They have plus 25 red and plus 18 for the green and the blue channels. In image number 2227, I was again looking for those little actions that help us to connect with our cousins. And here I caught a youngster comparing his thumbs. He had literally sort of lined them up and was looking at them as if to say, wow, I've got two of these and they're just the same. It's, you know, many times I saw these macaques doing something that showed me just how intelligent they are. And, you know, maybe in this case, inquisitive is a better word. And I was pleased when I captured this, a moment like this. As I say, the second day was a little bit darker and we, you know, we can see that the light was falling in this image. I'd raised the uh, ISO to 400, as I said, on this day. Um, but with um, the lens, the 70-200mm lens set at f4, I had the sh a shutter speed of uh, 1 400th of a second here. Um, you know, like I say, thankfully because of, uh, of raising the ISO a little bit. Again, I'd given room here for the reflection of the monkey in the water, and I'd also tried to include the larger ripple rings uh, here, as, as well as that gold-coloured stone in the background. Although I, I didn't do this for uh, the last three images, pretty much all of the other images that we look at have a slight vignette added in Lightroom, which I think adds uh, to the images and helps to sort of draw our attention in on the subjects. For image number 2222, um, I closed the aperture down a click to f4.5 for this much closer shot of a very pensive looking male. This guy was just sitting right at the edge of the pool and I was literally um, at the closest focus point, uh, sorry, focus distance for the 70-200 f2.8 lens here. I, I'd literally gone in as close as I could and then remember having to step back a little bit because I couldn't focus. I just love the intelligence in those eyes. I, I can't help thinking, though, that you know he's wishing that there weren't so many damn photographers sticking their cameras in his face as well. 
at any one time uh, for the most part of the day, there's a good 15 to 20 photographers around this pool and a handful um, of sort of non-photographer tourist people as well. Uh, with this in mind, the macaques are incredibly calm, rarely showing any signs of being annoyed um, you know, with the humans around them, though there is the odd fight between the monkeys themselves. Let's look at image number 2215 to give you a little more context of the surroundings. More of a documentary photograph. Here I use the, the 24-70 f2.8 lens at 32mm with an aperture of f8 for 1 60th of a second to show you the surroundings, you know, the, the environment that we're shooting in. As you can see, there are a lot of monkeys in the hot springs bath, just sort of hanging out and keeping warm. And you can also see that there's a fair amount of steam coming off the, off the hot water, which uh, it can and does often get in the way of, the, of your shooting. As the cool air blows, blows um, through you know, and across the top of the pool, you, you do lose some chances. There, you know, basically, the scene totally whites out. You have to try to time your captures to when the, the mist is lighter. And of course, you know, it does add a little bit of atmosphere sometimes, so there's no need to wait for it to totally clear. But when it's, it's too heavy, you really have a problem to see what's happening. If you are in the path of the mist as well, um, which is basically, or at least on this day, the, the wind currents sort of had the, the wind or the breeze blowing across the... the um, if you're looking at this image right now from left to right, so if you're standing on the, on the ledge on the right of the pool, at the right side of this image, then basically the mist comes straight at you and it can, um, you know, mist up the front element of your lens. And so, you know, you, you have to, of course, um, take a break to wipe that off and things like that and just deal with it as, as necessary. There was um, a beautiful old lady monkey that we see to the left of image number 2203. I noticed her sort of keeping on licking her lips. She must have had chap lips and she kept sticking her tongue out and licking licking them. You know, this they must have been playing up something rotten because every ten seconds or so that you know her tongue would sort of dart out and she'd uh, she'd have a lick of the not really dart because it, she it wasn't that fast, but she would uh, she'd lick those lips trying to stop them from um annoying her. I actually shot a number of portraits right uh, to the close uh, right edge there of the pool um, and what I'd done is I'd stopped and I'd, I'd been leaning out to having you know being a little bit too close and I, because I had to lean out I was very unstable and I I took maybe I don't know I think five or six portraits very close and timed with the tongue being out um, and this was the only disappointment for me from the trip because I actually when I got back and looked at them on the PC they weren't quite as sharp as I like. You know, some people may pass them and, and use them, but I like my images to be really tack sharp. And they just lack that very slightly. So uh, I, I ended up sort of passing those over. Um, I'd gone sort of very wide aperture and, um, you know, really to, to, to give me that nice dreamy look that I like. Um, so it wasn't really a, a shutter speed thing as much as just the unstableness of the of where I was and you know if you're sort of rocking around and and not incredibly sort of stable when you're trying to shoot with a, a like a, a 1 through 135 at f2 or something like that then you're you're really gonna 
you have to be very stable to get the eyes in focus. Um, you, you know, you, you're talking a depth of field of a centimetre or so. And if you don't get it really spot on, uh, it can just ruin the shot. And that is really what had happened. I, I remember sort of being very unstable out there, hanging out at the edge. And you actually, you can't really hold on to anything because there's um, the rocks at the, around the edge of the pool. Are, there's water constantly flowing over them and they're a little bit sort of slippery. And so the only way that you could hold on to them and, and have any, you know, make any, any use of it would be to put your hand right over into the water and sort of hang on the inside edge. And of course the monkeys are there, so you don't really want to be doing that. Plus there's, um, if, if you're eating at the moment, maybe fast forward for the next 20 seconds. Uh, but you know, if the word floaters means anything to you, then you'll probably know what I'm talking about. Um, so you don't really want to be sticking your hands in there. Anyway, in this shot, um, I did, uh, yeah, I waited, I timed it so that when that tongue came out, um, I, I, I shot the, the group at that point. And I generally like this scene with the younger females around the old sort of matriarch type figure, um, seeming to me to at least be showing some sort of respect in the way that they're sort of carrying themselves around her and as, as other even sort of backing her up uh, there, even though she's on the edge of the group. I want to finish with image number 2201, in which we can see a family which, uh, you know, I think there we have daddy monkey grooming mummy monkey and baby monkey sitting there between them. I love the expression on mummy's face here with her like pale blue eyeshadow on, you know, she's, she's being pampered. It makes me think, you know, what makes me at least sort of ponder a little bit, you know, we humans think that we've got it all figured out and for sure, you know, it's a tough life for these monkeys, uh, you know, living so far north um, or far north from the equator, I should probably say. They're up here in the cold mountains of Nagano. But when you think that these guys, you know, they've got a warm bath to soak in, uh, they've, you know, this, this uh, little lady here with, with her eyeshadow on has got a caring hubby to groom her and she's got the little one close by. You know, they're, they're surrounded by other members of a, a relatively caring society, all living in relative peace. And, you know, in some ways, these guys seem to have it all figured out much better than we do. This is not only the last shot uh, for this podcast, uh, but also, you know, it's the last one that I uploaded from this set. It was shot shortly before 3 p.m. And not long after this, the monkeys tend to leave the hot spring bath. Uh, I guess they have to dry off before nightfall uh, when the temperature drops considerably out here in the mountains. So shortly after this, I, uh, I called it a day. And I went back to the hotel that I'd booked uh, and I then took a steady drive back to Tokyo the following day. Uh, happy with my reconnaissance trip, as I say, I've decided to add, a, add this as an option for next year's workshop. I think that I should be able to make it uh, possible for people, uh, you know, to only join this part of the trip if they wanted to. Um, probably more people that live in Japan and, and have already been to Hokkaido or something like that. But, um, you know, you'll probably, uh, you know, if you're coming from outside of Japan, I'm sure that, that most people will want to also uh, join us on the Hokkaido trip as well. Uh, like I say, there'll be a short break after the monkey shoot before we head up to Hokkaido. The, the monkeys are about a four-hour drive from Tokyo. Um, I considered sticking them together um, and just, you know, having no break. But 
I think that you know when when we do get up to Hokkaido, it's going to be a long a long trip up there as well. And also, uh, the only way that we can work it without a break is to be at the monkeys over the weekend. And we we really don't want to be there on a weekend because everyone else that's going to shoot them are there for on the weekend. And so, you know, I'm, I really want to keep it to a weekday when there's going to be far, far less people. Um, and it also makes the roads um, a little bit better for getting out there. Um, but, you know, basically... The Hokkaido trip is in a totally different direction, um, so we won't go straight on from there. We have to come back to Tokyo anyway. So what I'm thinking is, you know, we'll go back to the city on uh, Saturday afternoon. People will have a Saturday evening and then a Sunday to do some sightseeing if you want to, and then we'll uh, we'll be regrouping uh, bright and early on the Monday morning to fly up to Hokkaido. I'm going to time it with the, the monkey trip before Hokkaido so that people uh, that want to concentrate on wildlife shooting don't have to do the landscape shooting part, which is at the end of the Hokkaido tour. Of course, I, I personally think that the entire trip will be amazing again, so I'd really like to see people sign up for all three legs or, or you know, at least both of the, the Hokkaido ones. But also, this, you know, this monkey, the snow monkey trip is going to be something special. So you know, if time allows, then uh, and money, of course, then I, you know, I think it would be great to to be able to to attend all three. Um, I didn't want to force the wildlife shooters though to do the landscape portion if they didn't really want to do that. So that's why I'm sort of planning it this way to give people a chance to drop out, um, you know, for the halfway through the or just after halfway through the Hokkaido tour, as we had the option this year. And that way you can concentrate on wildlife, do the monkeys and the first leg of Hokkaido and not do the end, the last leg, um, where we go over to the central part of Hokkaido for the landscape work. Um, but as I say, you know, all three should be excellent and it'll be, it'll be great uh, if we can get a, a whole bunch of people to be joining all three. I'm just working the last few details here before I publish the dates and the prices on the workshops website at mbpworkshops.com. Uh, which I plan to do by the end of April. If you are interested and you want me to keep you informed, um, you can also just drop me a line at workshops at martinbaileyphotography.com and I'll add you to my distribution list um, and send out any information as I, as I get it. Of course, no one uh, will ever see the email addresses when I send them out, uh, when I send out the email, and I will never pass on your email address to any third party for any reason. So I hope you enjoyed sharing my experience at the Jigokudani Monkey Park in February 2009. If you're interested, I'll put a link in the show notes to a live cam where you can check out the monkeys in the bath. I'm not sure that they're in the bath all year round, and probably much less so in the summer, if at all. Uh, so if you listen to this episode uh, from the archives in other seasons, you may want, uh, you know, you might not see anything. Uh, but check out in the winter months and you'll definitely see the monkeys there all relaxing in the bath and doing their thing. I took a, a look at the, the live cam earlier um, just as, you know, to check the link. Uh, and basically, uh, yeah, there were very few monkeys in the bath. Um, note that the webcam doesn't run through the night. Uh, what they do is they freeze the last, they freeze it at the last shot they get of the day. Um, and because Japan is... GMT plus nine hours, 
This means that you will need to check in your evening or your maybe your early morning or so if you live in the US or Europe, uh, depending on your time zone, of course. Uh, but bear in mind that you know that it, it is it is Japan, Japanese time. The cool thing is though that uh, you have like on the left side it's in Japanese, but you'll see the numbers eight, nine, ten for you know eight a.m., nine, ten a.m., um, and so on. And you can basically just click on these links, and it shows you snapshots taken at that time throughout the day. So, and you can also check the for the for the day that you're looking and the previous day. So, you know, you, you get a good chance of seeing the monkeys in there, um, and some of them you can, you can see the photographers in there as well. One other thing to mention today, um, you know, moving on from the monkey stuff. One other thing that I wanted to talk about was um, that if you use Twitter, please do follow me. Um, I I tend to sort of tweet a little bit of you know when I'm out shooting I'll, I'll sort of show tell you where I am and um, you know a, a few of my sort of thoughts and things while I'm out uh, plus anything else photography related that I think might uh, be of help and I also sort of each week I'll, I'll do a tweet to t- sort of tell people that I've released the new podcast so you know that can be a, a good prompt for you to tell to download and take a listen um, I can be found at uh, twitter.com slash Martin Bailey with no spaces between my names. Last week, Scott Bourne was kind enough to include me in his list of the top 10 uh, photography-related Twitterers to follow that he posted on photofocus.com, which was great. So thanks so much to Scott if you're listening. I'll put a link to Scott's list in the show notes as well in case you, you want to check that out and see who else you should be following. If you've just found this podcast uh, because of that, then welcome aboard. If you like what you see and hear here, um, then you know, do tell friends and spread the word. We have a, a great community on, on our photography forum at martinbaileyphotography.com as well, so please do check that out. For now, though, you have a great week, whatever you're doing. Bye-bye. The Martin Bailey Photography Podcast is a proud member of the Photocast Network. Find this and other great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com.